0: Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Awesome. It takes a village. Is a series in February. We're going to be focusing on uh, this idea of community it takes a village, is a common saying, especially among parents. If you've heard it, it's usually connected to the idea that we need a community to care and to stay engaged in the process of raising our young. In fact, this has been our prayer, Alini and mine prayer, uh, that we, from the beginning, from the moment Maya was born, our eldest, uh, we pray that God would send people to surround her that would. Fill in the gaps and the areas that we are, that we fail, that we come short in. And, and, and because as parents, we know that we lack and we need the community to come alongside our children to help them develop well. But this idea of, of being part of a village uh, speaks more to the way we're made than it does to the necessities and demands and the labor of raising a young person. Because we're social creatures. We are created for community. And that not only means that we like having people around because it makes us feel good. It doesn't only mean that we like having friends and having conversations with people, having human connection. It not only means that we like sharing common interests with people and it promotes our well-being, but it, it means that the right community can provide something to each and every one of us that nothing else can in life. So in a world where every person is lured to be their own self, in a world where we're called to build our individual brand, in a world where the so-called self-made man or self-made woman is idolized, it's it's almost like glorified it's easy to dismiss or even underestimate how much a person's relationship how much a person's connection actually has to do with their life outcomes every single connection we have has something to do with the outcome of our lives for better or for worse In fact, the Apostle Paul warns us in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. He says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. See, I believe we live in the best time and the best era the world, society, has ever seen for community, for collaboration... For interconnection between people, between families, and between communities. I believe there has been no other time in history where this has been, uh, uh, the way that that we connect has been better than what it is now. We can move around. We can move around with ease. We can connect digitally. We can record ideas, express ideas ideas on audio and video, we can easily store and digitize our content. Think about this when musicians uh, and, and, and when uh, composers back in the day had an idea, they had to know music and they had to write it in a music sheet because they couldn't just sing it and record it. It had to be on paper. Now you just pull your phone out and, you know, if you have a singing voice or an idea, you just record it right then and there. There's so much that we have in our hands so that we can formulate and we can create and we can do all that a thousand times better than we could do just a hundred years ago. And I just made up that statistic, but I'm pretty sure it's true. (laughs) You know, this is an election year. And I don't know if you know this, but the reason why there's such a gap in the general elections between the election in beginning of November and the time where everybody takes their post at the end of January. It's because not too long ago, well, basically when the nation was formed until transportation got better, the delegate votes were were physically transported from each state all the way to Washington, D.C., by horse. Could you imagine that? They needed the time. Imagine coming from California, Colorado, Idaho, Montana in the middle of January. People just coming and bringing those three votes from Montana, <laughs> you know, bringing the electoral votes. And nowadays we get mad if we don't get results for our elections in three days. Like, come on, what's happening? What's going on? We should know by now. Because technology has become such an amazing, uh, has developed in such an amazing way that we, we, we could just have things now. We have the best healthcare system the world has ever seen. We can fly anywhere in the world and get to most places in less than 24 hours. It's quite amazing. Yet... We're in such an amazing place. And yet, most of us can't help but feeling like we are in crisis. Like the world is in crisis. That we have a crisis of character. A crisis of integrity. A crisis of leadership. And, and especially a crisis of identity. We don't really know right from wrong as a society. Everything is... Murky and gray. We don't really know. We don't feel like we can trust freely. We don't really know who to trust. We have this sense that our leaders are corrupt. It's just a general sense that we have. And we don't really know who we are. We're losing our identity. And that is reflected in many ways we connect. It's reflected in many ways we get to interact, but especially in social media. I mean, we no longer have to wonder how petty, how absurd, how mean, how delusional human beings can get. We get a front row seat every day. Now, why? Why are things like that? I was reading a story this week about this this. This boy, in 1799, when the French Republic was only 17 years old, some peasants of the region of tarn and Aviron, uh, in southern France, they, they met this young boy that lived in the wild. And, and he lived in the fields and the forests. And he, he lived naked, and he was scavenging around, and they couldn't know, they didn't know really what to make of him. He didn't speak French. He didn't seem to speak any language. And at first, he would run away from every human. And then they captured him. And they tried to capture him several times, but he would always escape back into the woods. Later, the boy became familiar with some of the mountain farmers, and he would show up during the day to get some food from them. And then he would just skedaddle back into the woods for the night. And then one night in the 1800s when he was taking shelter from a storm, he was finally captured for good. They took him to a lab and they wanted to study him. They called him the wild boy because he was considered like wild. And later they named him Victor. Victor was studied by a team of philosophers. And because they couldn't make any progress with him, they couldn't get through to him. They assumed that he was insane. So they gave him up. And then a physician took care of him and took him under his care. And it worked with him for two years, trying to teach him basic skills, to teach him words. And with much effort, he taught Victor some signs. Very few basic signs. And he was never really able to speak or to communicate. And because of the lack of progress, the physician gave up in 1806. And Victor lived anonymously after that with a lady who... Took upon herself to take care of him until his death, 22 years later, in uh, 1828. I just did the math in my head. I'm pretty proud of it. It's only 22 years, JD. Slow down. See, we tend to typically see every person as an individual, and we live in, in in a in a mindset that we are independent individuals. We fight for independence. We want our independence. But the truth is that there's nothing we do, there's nothing we say, there's nothing we think that is not connected to another person in some way, shape, or form. Everything we know, we have learned from people. Experiences that we've had with people have taught us things. Everything we know is because somebody influenced us in some way. And you can even say, like, I can figure things out. Sure, you can figure things out. But if I drop you off in the middle of nowhere, in the woods of Pennsylvania, for example, for a week, you'll learn a few things when you're there, if you survive. But the things that you will learn will be dependent on what you've already learned from somebody else. Under that layer, that foundation that you have to learn has been built because of other people. Basic things like, you know, a tree is a tree, and you call a tree a tree because somebody told you a tree is a tree. And there's no other way for you to understand a tree except by the way that you've been taught. And then there are more complex things like finding north based on the position of the sun. It's all things that we have been taught. And everything else, too, we have been informed by others. We are much more interconnected than we think. Our process of learning, of living, we're much more interconnected than we think. And because of that, we need the right community around us. We need the right community around us. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote in First John, his letter, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Listen to this. This is the message We have heard from Him. I think we have it on the screen for you. And proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses from all sin I don't know if you've ever been in a place in life where you felt turned off by people now we're talking about having the right people in your life having the right community we're talking about the influence others can have on us but I'm sure that if you have lived a little while you've been disappointed by people You've been turned off by people. Maybe you tried to connect. You tried to make amends. You tried to participate. You tried to build a meaningful relationship. But somehow you were disappointed. Or maybe even wounded. If you've ever been there, can you tell why? Can you pinpoint why that didn't work out? See, talking about community and church... It's not as easy as it sounds. Because I can share a message here with you that can be aspirational. I can share a message that can be inspirational. And I can tell you that we are made for community, that we are better together, which is true. That we need each other, which is true. I can tell you that if it weren't for community, we would all be like Victor, which is true. And it can be a very polite message, a very encouraging message, filled with truisms, and it can make you feel warm inside. But in actuality, you might find it hard to apply to daily life because many of us in this room have been in contexts where you thought to yourself, we're not better together. In fact... You have been in situations where you left the situation thinking we should, have, we should have, have never gotten together. We should have never been together in the first place. Some of you understand the notion that we need each other. But on the inside you're thinking, no, it's okay. It's all right. I'm fine. See, I love people. I love being with people. I love being around people. But I'm also 100% okay all by myself. I'm fine all by myself. I used to, as a teenager, I used to go for walks by myself. I would just think, pray, wonder about the world. And I would be by, by myself just walking for hours sometimes. And I grew up... Many of you know, in a ministerial family, my grandpa was a pastor. My dad still is a pastor. And so as a kid growing up, I've had a disproportionate amount of exposure to people. People, their behaviors, their intentions, their ulterior motives, their hidden ambitions, their stories, the good, the wonderful, but also the bad and the ugly. And I can tell you from personal experience, that I've seen the words by the Apostle John here that he wrote. I've seen it and I can attest that they are true. They, I've, been, I've seen them be true again and again and again and again. See, before we talk about community, we need to talk about what makes a community healthy. What makes it for a healthy community? And the Apostle John here, he echoes what Jesus has taught. And he echoes what other Biblical teachers have taught. He's saying some people are of the light. Some people are walking in the light. But there are some people who are walking in darkness. That's why we're confessing each Sunday, Blessed is the person who walks not in the company of the wicked and the fool. when you're trying to make connection, make a connection with people, this is the quality that will determine whether it'll be true community, whether it'll be a nurturing community, and whether this will be a, kind, a bad kind of company that we read from the Apostle Paul that corrupts good morals. And I believe more than ever, More than ever, we need to be strong and unapologetic about the kind of people that we let in our inner sanctum. In our inner life. In our inner circle. Yes, we ought to love our neighbors. We ought to love our neighbors. We ought to love our enemies. Pray for our enemies. Like Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute us. We have to do it. But we should be careful. And we should choose who we're going to walk with. There's a difference. I'm talking about intimacy. I'm talking about true connection. I'm talking about the people that you let into your heart. See, loving someone doesn't mean that you should walk with them. It's two different things. And some people need to be loved from a distance. Amen. <laughs> I knew I was going to get you with that. Some people need to be loved from a distance. That means that you want the best for them, Yes. You're not going to badmouth them. You're not going to gossip about them. You're not going to make things difficult for them. You're not going to be petty towards them. You're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. But you're going to build a healthy distance. It's okay to build a healthy distance because some people you know are not walking in the light. Some people you know are walking in darkness. And they might be good people good co-workers that you're working with, friends who have good intentions, maybe family members that are trying. Nevertheless, they're walking in darkness. And so it's important for us to define without prejudice, without hate in our hearts, without any kind of negative discrimination. To say, hey, I like that person. I want the best for them. Our conversations are fun, but I don't want their life. I don't want to live like them. I don't want to do what they do. I don't want to love what they love. I'll be kind. I'll be loving. I'll be helpful. And I'll pray for them. But I will not be like them. It's important. Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 13, 20. Listen to this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companions of fool, what? Will suffer harm not may suffer harm not perhaps if they're not smart enough they'll suffer harm the companion of fools will suffer harm it's in a it's an assurance because we are influenced by one another see if your attempts to truly connect with people have failed and you look back in those connections, and you do a little bit of forensics on what happened, you will probably realize that either you or the other person at the time were walking in darkness. It's one or the other. There was some kind of darkness on either side. See, what does verse 7 say? Let's go back to the first John Scripture, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light, As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses from all sin. I love this passage. Because what He's telling us is this, if we choose to walk in the light, as He is in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Listen, there's something about walking in the light that opens us up to genuine and wholesome relationships. That's what we learn from this scripture. It's not simply that walking in the light will get you in a relationship with God. It's not simply that walking in the light will connect you to God in a special way. It's that walking in the light means that you're not only walking with God, but you have good fellowship with other people. And this word fellowship it's a beautiful word. See it's not a, a fellowship is not a room in an old church building or a program in higher education. I did my fellowship at Harvard. You know. Fellowship means partnership. Means sharing freely. It means to be to have active participation. To share a common Ground. It also means to make it common, to be so familiar that it becomes common, not in a negative way, but in an intimate way. And what we learn from this passage is that when the common ground, ground is the light of God, when the common ground between that connection is the light of God, then we are cleansed from our sins. It's a powerful principle that I don't want you to miss. See, there's a difference between being forgiven of our sins and being cleansed from all sin. It doesn't say that you will be cleansed from sins. It says that you'll be cleansed from sin, which means this, when you lie, or you cheat, or you steal, or you commit any other sin, there is something that drove you to do that. Something on the inside, a desire, a habit, a hang-up, and then you go, and then you have the thrill of what you did, and then when the thrill is gone, and man, you feel the consequences, and, and you get regretful, and, and then you ask for forgiveness, and, and, and hopefully you, know, you move on from that. But when you are cleansed from sin itself, it's the stronghold of sin. It's the root of sin that is taken away. It's the power, the desire that drives you to do the things that you don't want to do. That's when somebody gets delivered from addiction. That's when a liar no longer feels the desire to lie. That was when somebody that was because of insecurity or because of hang-ups or because of past traumas was, was driven to deceive people, that desire is taken away. And they no longer feel the necessity to hide and to deceive. That's what being cleansed from sin means. It's when sin loses its power. It's a beautiful thing. And it comes through a relationship with Jesus, but it comes through walking in the light and having fellowship with one another. That's what John is saying. There's something about fellowship with one another, genuine fellowship, that cleanses you from sin. There's something about godly community that cleanses us. Now, this is the kind of relationship I believe every person should develop and form. This is the kind of relationship everyone who decides to follow Jesus is empowered to have. In fact, the Apostle James puts it in a different shape. And he also uh, uh, alludes to this idea of the fellowship between believers having healing power. Listen to what James writes. James chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now listen to this. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. What happens when we do that? That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working see one of the primary reasons I love the Christian worldview it's because it is focused on others it's not about me it's about you and when you engage in a life with Christ there's there there's that change and at first it's it confronts us at first it's challenging When we begin to understand the level with which we are interconnected, the level with which relationships have the power to transform us and to change us and to move us forward, we begin to see this scripture come true in our lives. Many times our healing depends on our willingness to invite others into our mess. Many times our healing depends on our willingness to expose the sickness And this is not just physical sickness. To expose the things that we're going through on the assurance that we are walking in love with somebody. This is real Christian walk. This is the real walk that Christ called called us to live in. And some of us here have been dealing with hangups, with crutches for years. And the reason is because you've even tried to pray about it. We even try to bring it to God, but you have kept it in the dark. You're trying to walk in the light, but there's that part of you that you're like, no, this this has to stay hidden because it's too big. I can't bring it to the light. It's going to change how people see me. And maybe that fear is understandable because you have trusted people in the past. And how can you trust people once you've been betrayed? It's difficult. But what the Scriptures tell us is very important because when the Scripture uses words like cleansed, like forgiveness, like transformed, born again, it does so because the moment you decide to walk away from sin, the moment you decide to take a step away from it, you're building a separation between who you are and the thing you did. And the, the 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 very act of confessing means that you are letting it go. It means that you are verbalizing what you believe on the inside, and you inviting somebody else to see that you are no longer that person. To confess is to let go. It's to release, to confess is to divorce yourself from that thing that had you trapped. And in the community of faith, we not only confess the things we're letting go, in the community of faith, we confess who we are becoming. We confess the, 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 the truth of who we are the truth of who we are in Christ, in God. Friends, I've never believed in the church more than I do in this, in this time in history. It's true that we're in a crisis. It's true that institutions are failing. It is true that society is fragmented and confusion is growing and people are isolated. But the gospel is still effective. The Christ Christ is still the answer. Yeah, you can clap for that. If you're going to clap, do it well. Christ is still the answer. That's why we're here today. I I I was at a pastor's cohort this week and Pastors from all over the Northeast region were coming together. Uh, We came together in New Jersey, basically to talk about how to lead our churches with integrity, how to lead our churches forward in health. And uh, a big portion of the day was about managing church finances properly and best practices and whatnot. But uh, one of the speakers, uh, he was talking about the future of the church, and he said this thing that really hit home for me. He said, you know, the future of the church is not online. The future of the church is brick and mortar. And I was like, yes, yes, the future of the church is not only, I believe, I believe in technology. We're going to leverage that technology the best we can. You know, we're going to build classes and videos and things of that sort and, 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 and do all that. But true community happens face to face. True community happens when we're in the same room. Exchanging ideas, sharing heart, face to face. And I want to ask those of you who have a home or an apartment or a place where you can have people over, those of you who like having people over and enjoy having good people in your home, to pray and consider hosting a connect group this spring. Because this is how we'll begin to develop these things that we're talking about. I believe God is calling us to make more ways uh, make more room and, and find more ways to bless people and create spaces like this where this kind of community can flourish where this kind of fellowship that the scripture talks about can grow some of you you've been prompted prompted by the holy spirit to open your homes but you feel inadequate maybe you feel afraid and some of you, you will, you will be prompted. You will be praying and you'll be thinking, man, I should do that, but I don't know if I can. Let me encourage you today to, to follow through. You know, Alini and I, we started hosting connect groups as soon as we got married. And for many, many years, it's, it's been a blessing to us. And I've seen God done, do some amazing things in people's lives uh, through our connect group. Things that would never happen in a setting like this in church because that's where people are seeing, that's where they are blessed. And we were not we were not people of we didn't have any title or position in the church. We're just church members serving in teams and we opened our home and invited people over. And I, I, I can tell you the bonus thing about that is that to this day we have lifelong friends that came out of that. In fact, last year, one of my Connect Group guys, who was a single guy in college back then, you know, he married a beautiful uh, young lady, and, uh, and he's doing well, like 15 years later now, and he said, J.D., why don't you bring your family to Cancun with us? It's on me. Just bring everybody. That's a good friend. That's a good friend. I'm not promising that's going to happen to you if you start a Connect Group, but It could. It could. If God did it for me, <laughs> this entire month you will have an opportunity to sign up to host a group. We have printed these uh, flyers. This QR code right here will take you to a sign up page. There's a lot of questions on that sign up page that will make you think that you're committing to do it like tomorrow. We built it that way on purpose just so we can have an idea. Uh, if you are feeling like, man, I'm interested. I'm not committing at JD, but I'm interested. Fill in the form. Submit your application. And we'll get together on a Zoom call. I'll talk to you and talk through uh, everything that we are looking forward um, to do as, as far as connect groups. And we're looking to start them in, in March um, and, and start them well. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanted to give you this encouragement. Because... It's important for us to build genuine connections. I believe that, that our church, you know, what God has called us to do uh, here in Stanford, will depend on our willingness to invite people into our lives, especially those who are more, of you who are more seasoned in the faith, to invite people who are coming in. We have a lot of people who come in through these doors, and it might even be you here today, who have no church history. They're just looking to connect to God. They're just looking to mature spiritually, to find an avenue where, where they're spiritual. They're not even sold on Jesus. right? They just want to be with good people and find in their spirit a, a place for them to nurture their spiritual life. It's fine. Everyone is welcome. But those of us who are a little more mature in the faith, I believe God is calling us to rise, to build genuine connections, to pray and uplift people so that we can build each other in God and the light of God. But you don't have to wait until next month when we start groups. This Wednesday, ladies, this Wednesday, everybody say this Wednesday. This Wednesday. The ladies are getting together at Humbled Coffee House. Uh, the, the owner of Humbled Coffee House has been so gracious to allow us to have a private meeting on Wednesday nights for ladies there, every first Wednesday of the month. So this Wednesday, every single lady who's here today, I encourage you to go. The information is on our website for you, address and everything. It's a private event just for the ladies that are are part of Connect Community and anybody else that you might want to bring. But the coffee shop is not open. We're just using it as a place for us to connect. And the fellas, we meet every second Wednesday of the month as the monthly meeting where all the, the, the men get together. But this month, we're meeting on the 3rd. I don't want to confuse you. I just want to remind you, you can't be there on the Wednesday, on the 2nd week. You know why? Because it's Valentine's Day. So those of us who are married or otherwise engaged uh, with, you know, a fellow lady, um, you gotta, I can't take you out of that. You know? I can't get you out of that. <laughs> and also here each Sunday I encourage you to make room to connect with people I know we all lead busy lives but it's important for us to make room to pray for one another connect with one another grow closer to each other and walk in the light because it is true there's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman we all depend on each other It takes a village, but it takes the right kind of village. So my encouragement as a pastor and and our encouragement, Alini and I as leaders, is to continue to build a healthy village here at Connect Community as God uh, continues to use this church to connect people from all walks of life in the Stanford area. Do you receive it this morning? Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.